This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in California discussing an infamous murder house that went uninhabited for over 50 years. Then we'll discuss a double murder at sea. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Golden State. You may not have read it, but most of you have probably heard about Dante's Divine Comedy. The Divine Comedy is an Italian narrative poem that portrays Dante's adventures in the nine circles of hell, purgatory, and heaven. The purpose of the poem was to show people the horrors their souls would go through if they did not obey God's laws and did not live righteously. It discusses the state of the soul after death and presents an image of divine justice meted out as due punishment or reward. To me, it doesn't sound like a great read before heading to bed, but some disagree. All hope abandon, ye who enter. I'm typically not the one to cover a creepy murder house that may be haunted, but I am today. I'm real mad you found this one. <laughs> I thought you had covered it mm-hmm. for some reason. No, I have no idea what this is about. Okay, well, we're going to go back in time a bit. I also haven't done an old case in like a year, so double whammy today. Harold Perelson was born on February 1st, 1909 in New York. He grew up in Queens and was the oldest of four. He was a smart young man, and he eventually went to medical school. Then he left New York for the sunny state of California. There, he got a job at a physician's office in Inglewood, and later became a cardiologist and a professor at the USC School of Medicine. He married Lillian Silver, who was originally from Ohio, and together they had three children, Judy, Debbie, and Joel. They were thriving and wanted to find their dream home, and soon enough, they found it in Los Feliz for $60,000. So in today's money, that was in the 1950s, Uh in today's money, that would be half a million dollars. Oh, shit. Yeah. $60,000? So it was- That's crazy. It was a mansion. Most people have more credit card debt than that nowadays. Oh, for real. Yeah. This home on 2475 Glendower Place was built in a Spanish Revival style and was a total of 5,050 square feet. Damn. Think of Mediterranean architecture, bright exterior walls, red tile roofs, round arches. It was designed in 1925 by Harry E. Weiner for Harry F. Shoemaker. Yes, Harry Weiner. Get your laughs out now. I was. Gonna, I had to. I wasn't going to say anything. Oh, so Harry ended up selling the house on December sixth, nineteen thirty-two, and that's a date I will be bringing up later. So write that down. Then a man named Frederick Zelnick moved in. Frederick was a producer and director of German silent cinema. He ended up passing in nineteen fifty. He died in London, not in the house. So, he's not a ghost. Then, it was Harold's turn when he purchased the mansion soon after. The house had 12 rooms, a terraced lawn, a glass conservatory, four master bedrooms, three baths, a bar, and a ballroom. I want to live here. Yeah. There was also a staff quarters, but the Perelsons only had a teen babysitter who was a neighbor. They didn't have a staff. Relatable. (laughs) Same. (laughs) I wish. It seemed like the Perelsons were living a perfect life, but this is a true crime podcast and you know things aren't always as they seem. So Dr. Harold Perelson was also an injection specialist. My nightmare. Like inject, like Like a needle? Yeah, needle. In the late 30s, he invented a new technology that improved syringes. Basically, he invented an attachment to a hypodermic syringe that was designed to inject drugs directly from a sealed glass capsule, which would reduce the danger of contamination and spillage. There is a picture of this. I might have to post it. I thought you were going to say he invented Ozempic. 
<laughs> I was about to get real excited. I feel like that's much more modern. Probably. But I have no idea. I don't know either. He worked on developing this for over a decade, and in the late 40s, he had a verbal agreement with a man named Edward Shustak. He believed Edward could help him make the product a success, and they agreed to split the profits. Before he met Edward, he already sunk $24,496 into the invention, and that's a lot of money in the 40s. That would be approximately $279,465 by today's money, and he used all of Lillian's savings. So he put a lot of money into this. Edward spent 11 more years developing the product, but he wasn't planning on giving Harold any of the money. Don't ever do a verbal agreement. Oh, no. So Harold ended up filing a complaint on July 21st, 1952, saying that Edward was part of a shady and fake corporation. He also sued and demanded a compensation of $100,000. After two years and spending a lot of money on legal fees, he was awarded $23,956, so a little less than what he paid in in the first place, so he was still out of money for legal fees. Not long after, they had some more financial stress. On November 3, 1957, Harold's 16-year-old daughter Judy had a bad wreck. She was driving her siblings in Harold's 52 Oldsmobile, and when she went through an intersection, she collided with another vehicle. Judy had a hand and knee injury, a concussion, and was in severe shock. Joel had a head injury and severe shock to the nervous system, and Deborah's cheek was cut open. The other driver, Eleanor Keller, said it was Judy's fault. She said she drove straight through a red light without even looking. Well, Dr. Perelson did not believe her and took her to court. He demanded a total of $50,000 in damages, but he was only awarded enough to cover the medical bills. I'm surprised he got that mm-hmm. because no cameras, right? no proof. So it seems great that he got that covered, but it still hurt the finances because going to court and hiring lawyers is not cheap. In 1959, Judy wrote to an aunt, My parents so to speak, are in a bind financially. Allegedly, money issues had taken a toll on Harold's health, and at one point he was placed on the coronary ward. So, not long after Judy wrote to her aunt, major tragedy struck her family. On the evening of December 6th, remember that date? That's the date that one Harry sold the house. Lillian Perelson went to bed on the second floor of the house, Around 4.30 a.m., Harold was awake and pacing the house. He retrieved a ball-peen hammer, stood over Lillian, who was sleeping soundly, and used all of his strength to smash the hammer into her head. Oh my gosh! Right away, Lillian began to asphyxiate while choking on her own blood. Then, he heads to Judy's room. What? Yeah. He hits her with the hammer, but before he could do as much damage he did to Lily and she woke up and started fighting back. He kept hitting her while telling her to keep quiet. She escapes him and runs to her mother. Horrified, she sees her mother is dead by the hands of her father, and at this point she starts screaming so that Joel and Debbie wake up. In the meantime, Harold is telling Deborah to go back to bed. It's all just a nightmare. Judy ran out of the front door while screaming, don't kill me. She was bloody and beaten by her father. She ran to her neighbor's house across the street, but no one answered. Then she ran to the house next door and Marshall Ross opened the door. I can't even imagine Uh -uh. seeing this girl at my doorstep, bloody and beaten at 5-ish a.m. Marshall called the police. But then he decided to head over to the Perelson home and check on the other children. He walked upstairs and saw Harold with the hammer and blood all over him. Harold looked at him and said, go on home and don't bother me. Then he laid on the bed beside Lillian. 
Yeah. So then Marshall found the other two children, and they were 11 and 13 at the time. They were waiting on the first floor, and they gladly left the house with him. Finally, the police arrived. But Harold had already taken a concoction of water, acid, tranquilizers, and barbiturates, and it took less than 15 minutes for Harold to die before the ambulance arrived. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And one detail that's creepy to me is on the nightstand next to his bed, there's a copy of Dante's The Divine Comedy, and it's open to Canto 1, which reads, Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a dark forest, for the straightforward pathway had been lost. Another young girl, who was also a neighbor, heard Judy's screams that night. She said it sounded like a screaming wild animal. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. She also said her parents were friends with the Perelsons. Her father, who was an attorney, did some digging and found out the alleged hospital stays for coronaries weren't actually coronaries at all. Harold had been hospitalized multiple times for suicide attempts. And it was also revealed that either Lillian or the doctors, it's unclear which, were going to have him committed very soon. A World War II draft card from the early 40s, just a decade earlier, also revealed that he had once been hospitalized for problems with his mental health. With their parents now gone, Lillian's family assumed guardianship over the younger children, and they have kept their privacy ever since. No one knows what happened to the children and what became of them. What? Allegedly, Judy changed her name several times. They don't want anyone to find or speak to them. A year later, in 1960, the mansion was sold in a probate auction to a Lincoln Heights couple, Emily and Julian Enrique. But they didn't move in. In fact, over the next 50 years the murder mansion would remain completely untouched and uninhabited by anyone. So they bought this mansion, kept all of the Perelson's things exactly where they were, didn't touch a thing, cans of food, magazines stacked on the coffee table, clothes. Nothing's been moved. Nothing has been moved or touched. Yeah. They had a son named Rudy who inherited the property once they passed, and he also chose not to live there. He did store some of his things there, but he didn't stay. He had no heirs, so when Rudy passed away in 2015, it was put up for sale. Reportedly, it was purchased by the famous attorney Lisa Bloom in 2016 for $1.9 million. Then it was sold in 2020 for $2.35 million to a real estate investor who intended to renovate the property. So at this point, it was like bare bones. They had taken rooms apart. It needs a complete gut job. Every room needs to be redone. Well, unfortunately, new building codes made the steep hill that the house is on a big problem. Think of like Hollywood Hills type. It's the hill to get to the house is super steep. And you'll see when I post pictures. But the hill is too steep, so the entire property would have to be demolished, and the hill would have to be flattened for it to be up to code. Oh, my lord. Yeah, so it seems like the house's days are numbered. So, what would they do if someone was living there? Would that matter? I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Like, if, if this never happened, mm -hmm. and somebody, they just lived there, and they would update as the years go, and then the, their yeah. kids would be there and grandkids. and You know what I mean? I guess if you never needed renovations, because usually when you do a big renovation, you need it to be signed off for. Right. So Yeah. I, I really don't know. House people, like I said. <laughs> House people. <laughs> I don't know what that job is. So with every murder house, there are trespassers and people who want to sneak a glimpse into the ominous home. One time, two women snuck through a back door of the mansion, but the alarm went off. Right after they heard the alarm, one of the woman's hands started throbbing. Turns out she had been bitten by a black widow spider 
so badly she had to go to the hospital. Oh my gosh. Then, two nights later, the back door alarm kept going off at the other woman's house, and they said they felt like a ghost was following them. Some amateur ghost hunters have reported seeing orbs in the house and claim they've heard a woman's voice yelling no. Some report they saw ghostly faces looking out of the mansion's windows. Who knows if it's really haunted, but it would have a very good reason to be. Oh, it's haunted. (laughs) My sources are are from a Medium article by Jeff Maish, Ranker, Mirror, and New York Post. There's also a podcast all about this house called the Los Feliz Murder Mansion. And there's a Ghost Adventures episode about this case as well. I've not seen that. Of course there is. Uh, Every big house (laughs) there is, yeah. But that's the case of the... Los Feliz Murder Mansion. I remember seeing photos of this mm-hmm. house and reading. Once you started talking about it, I yeah, I remembered a little bit about mm-hmm. it. Not as much as what you told me. It's I a mean. recognizable house. Sure. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get why no one would want to live there that was in the family, but just to leave it and never. Untouch it. Untouched. Completely. Yeah. And their their whole family died before they could really explain what was their reasoning for buying it or yeah. leaving it untouched. You didn't have to buy it. I don't know. Mm, interesting. Kind of creepy. Very creepy. It still stands today, but. You got to climb that hill. You do, and it is a big hill. Oh, I'm not but, doing that. Ugh. And all the black and white photos of it make it even creepier. Black and white makes everything look creepy. <sighs> it does. Want to take a quick break? Sure. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Okay, here we go. Newport Beach. Have you ever been there? I've been close to it. I know where it where it is. I watched Laguna Beach. I've never been to California, so I've not been to Newport Beach. But if you aren't familiar with it, like myself, it's between LA and San Diego. Gorgeous boats, surfing, just the epitome of the Southern California lifestyle, and this is where Tom Hawks grew up. He grew up on the beach, surfing, boating, all the things. He joined the military, went to Vietnam, and after he got back, he became a probation officer. So Tom gets married, has two little boys, but the marriage doesn't last. They divorce when the boys are very young, and Tom meets Jackie. And Jackie, it's something. The boys adored her. So did Tom. They were so in love. They got married and the boys call her mom. Wow. So Jackie had been in a motorcycle accident in her early 20s, which left her unable to have children. She had a lot of internal injuries. So she really embraced her role as their bonus mom. They, you know, the couple had a ton of friends and everybody just loved them. Jackie was sweet and down to earth. And I'm just trying to paint you a picture Mm -hmm. of this, just this sweet couple. They were a very hardworking family and very frugal, like your husband. (laughs) (laughs) Both of them were, man. Yes. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. They were big savers. And by the time Tom was 50, he was able to retire. Oh, wow. Yes. That's very frugal. Yes. In California. Yeah. So, not only does he retire at 50, but the couple buy a 55-foot yacht that they lived on and sailed up and down the coast of California and down to Mexico. They had some rental properties mm-hmm. that they had invested okay. in, so that, that got makes them some money, too. And so, anyways, they fixed up the boat, updated the inside with the latest and greatest, installed GPS, and they named the boat the Well-Deserved. They kept the boat in Newport Beach Harbor, 
when they weren't sailing around and they had like a smaller boat, like a dinghy, that they would travel back and forth to the dock for supplies or whatever they needed. I mean, they were just living the dream. So they lived full time on, on the boat. I could not. I mean, it would be fun for in some theory, vacations and weekends, but not like. In theory, I think I could. But we're, we're in Arkansas. Yeah. This is not California weather. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, over there, it's... Maybe I could. Maybe if it was a nice enough yacht. I mean, hey. Right. So their boys were grown, and they were retired and living on a yacht, and they were in peak physical shape. Tom was a bodybuilder who worked out all the time, and the pictures and the videos that I've seen of him, he's very Tom Selleck. Dark mm-hmm. hair, mustache, just as our friends would say, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) I have the the vision. But Jackie was nothing to sneeze about either. She was very good. I mean, so there's still time for me to get my physical peak body. You still have time. I mean, they're tanned, they're toned, they're California. 50s, man. 50s is not old, first of all. No, I know, but to get your peak body, I I would think 20. Well, I I probably won't even reach my peak at 50. (laughs) So they're living this nomadic lifestyle for a couple of years, and then they find out that they're going to be grandparents for the first time, and they're just fucking thrilled. So they decide to sell this yacht and buy a smaller boat and a place in Mexico to be closer to their grandbaby who lives in Arizona. So to save money, they decide to list this boat themselves instead of using a broker Because brokers charge you thousands of dollars. Right. Like real estate agents, you know, you don't want to pay that commission. You just want to sell your house on your own. Kind of the same thing. So pretty quickly, this young couple, Skylar and Jennifer DeLeon, reach out. They want to buy the boat. Tom and Jackie are excited. Skylar said he had some money from being a child actor. And some investments that he had made. And so they're going to pay cash, which was around $300,000 they were selling this for. Skylar had a part. I was about to ask. In the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Okay. Hmm. He wasn't a Power Ranger. He kind of had a Mm -hmm. non-speaking walk-on role. Anyways. So they meet a few times about the boat. Jennifer was pregnant with their second child and they had a 10-month-old. So they were just this young couple and Jackie and Tom kind of, they were a little apprehensive because they were so young to be able to afford this boat. But she's pregnant. They've got a baby. Her and Jackie talked. Anyways. So a few weeks before the boat sale goes through, Tom and Jackie decide to take her out for one last trip to Catalina Island with some friends and family. And they tell them all that they're set to meet this couple and take them out for a sea trial, Hmm. which is basically like test driving a car. Right. They take the boat out. So a couple weeks go by. They meet the couple. They do this. Jackie calls one of her friends while they're out and leaves them a voicemail saying, we're out to sea. We'll be back shortly. And I'll call you when we return. She never called. So their boys, Ryan and Matt, became very worried when all the calls to their parents went unanswered. This family was super close. So for them not to answer, Mm -hmm. for her not to call and check on the grandbaby every five seconds, super unusual. So they call their uncle Ron, Tom's brother, who lives in San Diego, He's a retired chief of police, and he tells him, like, we haven't been able to get a hold of our parents. Can you just drive out to the to the harbor and see if you see the boat, their car, anything? So he does. And the boat's docked where it's supposed to be docked. So he goes closer and closer, and he sees that the boat's a mess, which is not like Tom. Mm-hmm. Or anybody that I know that have boats, you... Take care of your boat. Yeah. You cover it. You take the motor out of the water when you park it. You don't leave trash on it. And Tom was very meticulous about this, too. There's just certain things that you do. There's a process when right. you get off of a boat. 
it wasn't tied up correctly either. Mm-hmm. Ron noticed that. You do use certain knots to tie. You don't let the lines drag in the water. So all of this was just, it's fucked up. And he's going, this is not. There were also personal items left on the boat of theirs. Because at first he was like, the sail must have went through. And the people that bought the boat right. just left it willy nilly. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't, they didn't cover it right or they whatever. Not, yeah. But like Ron had left some fishing gear on the boat from when they went to Catalina Island. He's like, my brother wouldn't have left my yeah. stuff. So it was real suspect. He checks the parking lot. Their vehicle's not there. So he's like, well, maybe they just, after they sold the boat, they went on to Mexico to buy the house that they were looking at or whatever. He's trying to rationalize, mm-hmm. you know, in his mind. So he leaves a business card that he had that said chief of police on it and writes a note on the back that says, hey, this is Tom's brother. Um, can you give me a call? We can't seem to get in touch with Tom right. and Jackie. So family and friends start looking immediately. They know something's off. They knew they're selling the boat. So they start there. Jackie had told several people that they had the buyer and that when they were out on the cruise, she was telling everybody on the boat about the people that were buying it. So everybody's kind of going, who are these people? They were the last ones to see them. We need to get in touch with them. But lo and behold, Jennifer DeLeon does call Tom's brother. She tells him she's not seen them. After the sale, they got in their car and they drove away. She said, they told us something about Mexico, but we haven't heard or seen them since then. And she was like, I'm at work. So I can't be on the phone. But if you get a hold of them, tell them to call us because they left a lot of their stuff behind on the boat. I smell a weasel. As soon as he hangs up the phone, he tells his wife, she is lying. She knows something happened or she knows that something, Mm -hmm. something's going on. So some other things happened, like one of their friends, Tom and Jackie's, she took care of all of their bills. So they lived on the boat, right? So one of Jackie's best friends would get their mail, pay their bills, kind of take care of all that stuff. And there, she looked into this and she knew there hadn't been any deposit into their bank account for a large sum of money Mm -hmm. for the boat sale. There had been no activity on the account. They hadn't spent any money. And the bank also tells her that Skylar and Jennifer came into the bank and they had documents with Tom and Jackie's signature signing over power of attorney to them. Okay. The bank was like, this is all well and fine and it's all looks up to speed, but we need to talk to Tom before we can just turn over all of this money and Mm-mm. everything. So Thanksgiving comes and goes. So it's been about two weeks. Nobody's heard a peep. There's no way they would have missed this first grandbaby's Thanksgiving. So Tom's brother has been, as soon as he realized something was off, like the retired cop in him did not sleep. And his daughter is also a cop. So they're being Snoop Doggy Dog. They're looking and trying to find out as much as they can on the Daily Owns. Like the fact that Skylar had previously been arrested for armed burglary and was out on probation. So they knew he wasn't buying this boat. There's something going on. So, like I said, it's been two weeks. They go to the police. They get a search warrant for the boat. They notice that it's a mess. And one of the anchors is missing. But nothing else is really going on. They put the Daily Owns under surveillance. And they see them volunteering at a church. So, at this point... The police are like, okay, Tom and Jackie are probably in Mexico. They're probably fine. Nothing looks amiss. And there was a picture that surfaced of their vehicle crossing the border into Mexico. So they're like, okay, they're there. We just need to get in touch with them. So police speak to Jennifer and they're like, listen, the Hawks family, they're worried because no one's heard of them. So anything you know that can help us locate them, Please tell us. And she's like, we've been trying to reach them too. It's super weird. And it just keeps going to voicemail. 
Like there's stuff still on the boat. They need to come pick it up. She said, I talked to Jackie and Skylar and Tom would go off and talk about the price and, and all that stuff. The documents were signed by the Hawks, selling them the boat, and everything's legit. Skylar was interviewed too, and the detectives compare notes, and everything's matching up. Their stories are matching. There's nothing fucking making the police go, something's off. So the detectives decide to switch up interviewing. So they ask Skylar where he got all this money for the boat. He says he earned it as a child actor. As an uncredited extra. I mean. Cop calls a bullshit immediately. And not a power ranger, sir. No. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. I was arrested previously because some men from the Mexican drug cartel asked me to go into this house to see if there was a certain amount of drugs there. I was arrested. But when I got out, they gave me money. I knew I couldn't launder this money you know i couldn't bring this money across the mexico border so i thought if i bought this boat that would be a way that i could launder the money i know it's a crazy ass story but it's almost believable because it's so crazy and why would he lie about internationally laundered money money. to the police that's a crime Yeah. yeah and he's on probation He's like, listen, I want to become a dive master and take people out for money to take care of my family. And that's why I wanted to buy the boat. He tells the cops, the Hawks gave me power of attorney so I could open up a bank account. We could deposit money in there. I have dual citizenship in Mexico and I could help them buy a home there. The detective asked to see the documentation for the sale of the boat. And it was all there, and it was all signed and all notarized, and there was even a witness, one of Schuyler's friends named Alonzo. So Schuyler had met him in jail. <laughs> Alonzo was a security guard there. Okay. Oh, okay. So all this paperwork's there, except the actual bill of sale. And Jennifer's like, I know it's somewhere around here in the house. I'll find it. I'll bring it to the police station tomorrow. So the next day, Schuyler's interviewed by police again, and his story doesn't change. He tells them he met the Hawks in a parking lot. He had the money in a suitcase, and Tom says, here's the keys to the boat, and he and Jackie drive away. They even brought the notary in, and she tells them the same thing. We met in the parking lot, exchanged the money, I notarized it, they got in their car and they drove away. Other witness comes in, same story. There's no reason for the cops not to believe that this is legit and Tom and Jackie are just in fucking Mexico. Like there's no, there's no body. There's no crime scene. There's no witnesses. There's nothing, but they have not been in contact with their family. Yeah. And, but to me, it's also weird about the power of attorney. They're not, they're not even friends. They just met. Yes. And why would they need help getting a home in Mexico? Well, that's the thing. Everything is on the up and up except that. And the Hawks family are like, there's no way Tom would have done that. Our dad would have done that. Their reasoning doesn't make sense. A lot of people buy property in Mexico and you don't need this. Yeah. But like I said, so far, there's no crime, no evidence, no witnesses. So here's a little backstory on Skylar. He was abused as a small child. Mom tried to leave dad. Court gives custody to dad because mom's a drug addict. Um, Dad gets Skylar into showbiz to try to make some money off of him. And eventually, you know, that's not panning out. He gets some bit parts, but nothing major. Eventually, Skylar joins the Marines, probably to make his dad respect him. And he eventually becomes part of an elite group of Marines, the Marine Force Recon. And even gets a giant tattoo on his back. But it was all a lie. He actually went AWOL after joining the Marines and was dishonorably discharged. Mm. Jennifer, his wife, she grows up in a loving Christian home. She meets Skylar online. Skylar gets into a motorcycle accident right after they meet, which left him incontinent. So Jennifer moves in the apartment with him to take care of him. 
he gets a settlement, he buys a ring, they have a small wedding, and Jennifer gets pregnant immediately. They have their daughter, Jennifer gets pregnant again. So they're a young couple, two, one and a half kid, struggling. They are not making ends meet. They rack up almost $100,000 in credit card debt and are now living in her parents' converted garage. Jennifer was a hairstylist and Skylar worked for a mortgage company, but he was bored. So he joined a couple of friends in burglarizing some homes, and this is when he goes to jail. But it wasn't prison. It was a kind of a cushy California jail where he was allowed out during the day on a work release. Oh, boy. But he never went to work. <laughs> Jennifer worked, and he stayed home and hung out with his friends. Oh, gosh. So, back to the story. Police go on Good Morning America. This is December of 2004, so they have been missing a month. They're trying to get anybody to come forward that has seen Tom or Jackie. They are focusing on finding the car. They give a description, picture, tip lines go wild. One lady calls in and says, I'm looking at that car right now. She's in Mexico. Police fly down to Mexico. They're like, what the fuck? They knock on the door. Old guy answers. He only speaks Spanish. And they hear Skylar and Jennifer's name. They're friends with his son, Alonzo. So police know now. They've murdered Tom and Jackie. It had been them that drove the car there that crossed the border that they saw the pictures of. So they have to drive the car back to the U.S. They get a search warrant for the Daily Owns, and they find all the home movies that Jackie had filmed and Jackie's laptop. And they had actually taped over one of Tom and Jackie's home movies with their family's Thanksgiving. What? What a... Yeah. Yes! But the police still don't have any evidence or bodies... So they turn their attention to the witnesses, Alonzo and the notary, Kathleen. And after some intense questioning, Kathleen confesses that she backdated the papers and she never actually saw Tom and Jackie. They found Alonzo in Mexico. He said he wasn't alone on the boat, that a local gang member named John F. Kennedy. Yes. A local gang member yes, named, named John, John F. Kennedy. Kennedy. He was also on the boat. He confessed that they tricked the Hawks to taking the boat out. And once they got out to sea, they overtook them and took over the boat. They had brought Jennifer along because she was pregnant and they knew that Jackie would feel more comfortable if she saw her. But Jennifer didn't get on the boat. She was just like at the dock, like, you guys have fun. Take the boat out and I'll see you in a sec. So once they were out, they attacked Tom and Jackie. They forcibly make them sign the paperwork and they handcuff them. They lower one anchor, get some rope, and tie the hawks back to back. Mm. One of the anchors is disconnected and Skylar drags it over to the couple. Tom is comforting her, (sighs) telling her it's okay. Um, I'm with you. We're together. Jackie's screaming hysterically, saying, I'm too young to die. I have to see my grandbaby one more time. It's awful. It's awful. Ugh. At this point, Tom jumps up, kicks Skylar in the ding ding. JFK, not the president, then pushes the couple overboard with the anchor attached. Oh my gosh. I cannot imagine. Oh, just at least. Shoot them first. I mean, something. I, uh, awful. I, I can't. It makes it throw ways. Up. Oh my gosh. So Alonzo receives 20 years in prison. Scholar and JFK are sentenced to death. And Jennifer is given two life sentences. Did Jennifer know they had plans to of murder Of course she him? knew it. Gosh. They just wanted the money. They murdered this couple with the intent Of stealing the money. They had nothing. They didn't want the boat. They had nothing to do with the boat. Or maybe they were going to sell the boat. But they wanted him to sign over a power of attorney to them. But there's more to the story. There's a lot more to this story. 
Skylar had murdered someone else and stole drugs. He had stolen his own boat that was at a body shop getting fixed. He used stolen money to buy Jennifer's wedding ring. In 2008, while in jail, Skylar takes a razor blade and partially cuts off his own penis. Why? He said he did this because he wanted to become a woman. And according to the ABC News, Skylar wanted to have a sex change. And that was the motive for doing all of this and getting the money. All of that happened before he even went to trial. So he was uh, sentenced to death for Jackie and Tom's murder and the man that he had murdered in Mexico. So So he's still on death row. Yeah. Wow. Nuts. Tied this couple to an Mm. anchor and threw them overboard. I hate that. Awful. Man. It's really sad. I know you're, like, speechless. I have a a bunch of stuff to talk about. Okay, let's change the subject. Is it better? Probably Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Um, I watched Run, Rabbit, Run. I did, too. I fell asleep. I was going to say, so if you don't know, it's a new scary movie on Netflix. It has Sarah Snook from Succession. Uh, Three out of ten. It had potential. It did. And it was creepy. Sure. Like, especially in the beginning. But it kept going in circles. I can't. I fell asleep. And, yeah, man, I was so disappointed. It's not for me. It was, ah, yeah. I caught myself all up, not caught up, but um, rewatched all the Insidious movies because the new one is out, and I'm going to go see it maybe this week while Max is at another camp. (laughs) Yes, he is at camp again. I I haven't seen those in so long. I either, haven't either. And I don't even remember the plot. Kid gets sick. Yeah. I remember the boy on the cover. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Just they're good. They're good. Then all of them are on. I think it's HBO Max. Okay. So I have that. I stayed home all weekend watching those other than took Max and some friends to the movies on Friday. We watched the new Teenage Kraken movie. Haven't even heard of it. Well, you're about to be a Teenage mom. Teenage Kraken? It's, a, it's, a, it's the same people that did Shrek. So it's like so-and-so, like this name, the mm-hmm. Teenage Kraken. So, you know, the Krakens are like a, a water uh, cryptid. Yeah, yeah. So. Okay. It's cute. I loved it. And it's kind of, you know, the, the Krakens versus the mermaids. Okay. And the mermaids are the bad people. So anyways. <laughs> That's when I saw the Insidious movie poster and was like, oh, oh I thought my you were going to say preview. I would have no. been like, that was no, kind of no, no, weird. No. I was like, I, I love a demony movie. I have to get all caught up <sighs> so I can go watch this. But speaking of demons and krakens, did you see that viral video of the girl on the plane? I haven't watched it, but just, I think it was two days ago, a couple of friends were talking all no, about it. Pause this right now and watch it. It's super quick. Okay, well, uh, I can tell you right now, Lacey doesn't believe it. No, I don't. She does not. Well, I printed off some shit because you know I like to research. I believe something was wrong. So, this woman, she's on American Airlines and she freaks out and starts heading to the exit that she's saying this passenger back there is not real. She has a complete meltdown. This happened at DFW um, last Monday and she's. I mean, you've seen the video. If you haven't, look it up on TikTok, YouTube, anything. But she's screaming. I'm fucking telling you I'm getting off this plane. She doesn't give two fucks and says it multiple times. I would have immediately followed this girl. Oh, my gosh. I would have. She she literally at one point, they're like, would well, you want to, you need to get your stuff? And she's like, I don't care about my stuff. I just want off the plane. And they let her off. Do they know who she was pointing at? The guy or? that was sitting beside her. Okay. Who had a hoodie on. Had she just watched The Outsider? No. <laughs> and I don't appreciate your tone. <laughs> Have you watched that? No. <laughs> okay. So. What? Here's okay. the thing. Okay. So she's freaking out. She says this guy, you know, he's not real. All the things. I. I mean, I would have got off the plane. I've seen Final Destination. I'm not about that life. Did the plane land? It was, was it a safe flight. Everybody had to deboard. 
They had to. Oh. Everybody had to get off. But hang on. But I'm pulling us into specu- I'm pulling into speculation station. So, okay. So you can take your seatbelt off. We have landed here. So I've heard. <laughs> shapeshifter. Shapeshifter. <laughs> that it's eyes. His eyes blinked this way instead of like this. Side to side instead of side to side up and instead down. of okay. up and down. And I, I believe she saw something. She was freaked out. Well, yeah. She was scared. I don't think it was drugs. I don't think she was drunk. No one says they saw her drink anything or acting erratically or weird or whatever. So, fuck that. And if you don't know what a shapeshifter is, it's a fictitious creature that is able to change its physical form at will. Which the eyes blinking the opposite opposite direction. That that's creepy. Well, they're reptilian, and they can change and pose as a human. Mm -hmm. So fuck that. Anyways, I mean, she gets off the plane. She's not arrested. Which why would she be? She didn't break right. any laws. She was scared. She wanted off the plane. She was respectful other than fuck bombs here and there. Oh, but yeah. I would have been the same way. <laughs> she was obviously scared. But she didn't break any laws. Right. Was it an inconvenience? Yes. But right. nothing illegal happened. So a representative um, from American Airlines confirmed the incident and stated that after getting off the aircraft, the lady, quote, left the airport. No she one's flying alone. Yes. So, however, the identity of the woman still remains a mystery. She has not been seen or heard from since. No one on the plane that was on that plane has said anything to any media or has come forward and said they were on that plane that mm-hmm. I can find. Mm-hmm. And I dove all the way headfirst into this. And they switched out the flight attendants. The three flight attendants that were on the plane, they took them off and put three new ones on. Hmm. They made everybody deboard, took off all the luggage. Everything went back through security before they could reload. They were headed to Orlando, which delayed the flight like three hours. They were going from Dallas to Orlando. Yes. Okay. So, it's definitely suspect. That is weird, yeah. Why has this woman not come forward and been like, listen, I took a Xanax and had a drink because I'm scared to fly like bridesmaids. And I thought I saw something. I don't know. Not a peep. No one has seen her. No one saw her leave the airport. She wasn't arrested. Wow. And why has no one from the plane said anything? Yeah, I don't know. Nothing. It's very bizarre. That is weird. It's bizarre. She looks terrified. She does. I 100% And she's believe her. Put together like she's... Yeah. Not that that matters. No, I know what you mean. But I mean, like, she's not disheveled in her appearance. Right. And I am really irritated at the fact that everybody is making fun of her on this video. Like, why are you being a dick? She's scared. You don't have to be a jerk. It doesn't seem fake. No, it's not. I don't think it's fake. And would you risk being on the no-fly list? You know what I mean? Why would you risk leaving your shit, too? Yeah. You're like, I don't even... She does not care about her stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Just get me off the plane. Yeah. And did you see... Probably not. But there was another video like this that surfaced that just happened a couple weeks ago. The man in Croatia, same thing. He was on a flight in Croatia. He said he saw something. He freaks the fuck out to the point where he's trying to open up the emergency oh exit. He wants off the plane, land the plane. That person's not real. I have to get well, away that from would them. Be terrifying. Get them for get, everyone. Yes. Not open the the exit on a plane. Oh I mean, mm-mm. he saw something. He wanted off. I, I can't. Sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. It's, but to happen two weeks apart mm-hmm. and it's like the same thing. And what about the video that happened in Las Vegas? Did you see that video? What kind of groups am I in? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, this family calls the Las Vegas Police Department and reports that there was a UFO that had crashed behind their house. And body camera footage of the police that they have on them shows all of this taking place. Shows the bright light. Them get the call, them pull up to the house, and 
the the police, you know, the, the the family is telling the police, we saw something. We saw this big creature. We don't know what it was. NASA came forward and said, well, that was just a big meteor. But the Metro Police went so far as to put a camera up on this family's roof of their house to try to catch something. Mm-hmm. It has since been removed. But the police are on the video on their body camera saying, we saw it too. We believe you saw what you say you saw. But if it comes back, do not call us because we cannot help you. <laughs> We're going to set this camera up, see what we can That's find. high government intel like they're, stuff. <laughs> they're telling them, we know this isn't a hoax. We know you're not uh-huh. crazy. We saw the light when we were driving up. And you can watch their body cam footage? Yes. You have I, to find I it will. because a lot of it's been pulled off. Ugh. I'm not saying this is the beginning of Independence Day. Oh, gosh. But there's... The reptilians uh, might be coming. I'm just saying there's something that maybe we need to keep an eye on. I'm just saying. Yeah. You heard it here, folks. If we were invaded and aliens were reptilians, I'd be real mad. I'm I just going to say. fucking gross. Don't out. look like a freaking lizard. Don't. Don't do it. Don't blink sideways or whatever. That's That creeps me out. How have I never... Is there a movie that shows that? I haven't been on uh, Alien... I haven't either. Uh, reptilian TikTok. I haven't either. But people were talking about it the other day and they had seen it. And I don't know. Well, they were saying she wasn't talking to anybody and not, or about anyone. I'm like, well, was there a person or was it just no one? She was seeing a person. So she thought the man that she was seated next to was not real. I've seen a couple different TikToks where other people have not been recorded saying this but it's alleged someone from the flight has said there was a man sitting next to her in a hoodie she was having a complete conversation with the man the man never said a word maybe he had his earbuds in under that could have been but don't talk to me on a plane she was asking and laughing like they were talking and like answering questions so it's just very suspect. But again, this is TikTok. It could all be bullshit and everyone listening could think I'm crazy. But join the club. Yeah. I'm super fun on first dates. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but I... I have another little update about the man that was found in Texas. Uh, yeah, we recorded like right before that was more news came out out. yeah so we've gotten a lot of messages i'm like we know we know but so basically rudy for how you say that ferraris for ferreas anyways he was reported missing march 7th of 2015 Mm -hmm. sparking an eight-year search but in reality he was at his mother's house the whole fucking time yeah it's very bizarre he was never missing on thursday the police say his mother Janie Santana filed a missing persons report on March the 6th of 2015, but Rudy came back the next day and she did not call the police back and tell him he was home. She just left it. And over that next eight years, investigators would come to their house and speak to her and Rudy. What? And other family members. And they all were given, they were all... Everyone told the police that this was her nephew. This wasn't Rudy. This so is my nephew. So the whole family was lying about this? Some of the family knew from what I gather, but not everybody knew. What? Some of the family did the not be? know. So despite this, prosecutors will not be pursuing charges for making a fictitious report, which is bullshit. I... Don't know why they wouldn't do that. This was a missing child, and missing children cases are not fucking funny. No. And I don't think it's a joke and something to be taken lightly, and I feel like they should prosecute her. Yeah. So, her relatives, Janie's relatives, have come forward and said that there has to be some kind of police cover-up. Because why would they not prosecute her? It doesn't make any sense. Police account on Thursday also directly contradicts allegations made by a community leader and counselor named Quanell X, who attended a meeting with Rudy and the detectives. 
Quanell X told reporters that Rudy said he spent the last eight years hidden in his mother's home suffering abuse. Police officials said they were unable to prove that this was true. What in the world? It's very bizarre. The whole thing is... Every time somebody says something, the cops are like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not true. And they're not prosecuting her and they're not investigating this no, any further. She, yeah. There's something going on. Aliens and police cover up people. Eight <laughs> years of her not... Yeah. No. Yes. Mm-mm. Yes. So I'm like, why did the mother continue to claim her child is missing for eight years? As soon as he gets back, just call the police and he say came he's home the home. next it's, day. It's okay. Or, no way. One possible motive is the fact that she profited financially from the false claims and she got all this attention. Did she have like a GoFundMe account? She did have like, a GoFundMe Okay, account. like help me find my son. Yes. Okay. But so it geez. was started around two weeks after them reported him missing, after they reported him mm. missing. Um, please help us find Rudy Ferraris. Rudy went out to walk his two puppies on March the 6th, 2015, and has not been seen or heard from since, said the description. It continues, Rudy's mother is a single parent who already lost her eldest son in 2011 and Rudy's father in 2014. She needs financial assistance since she is unable to work, understandably so, with her son missing. The bills are piling up, and Rudy's mother's health is also deteriorating, as she is devastated mentally and physically and emotionally utterly exhausted. I mean, same. So several people donated, and I think it topped out at like $2,000, which isn't very much. But still, that's $2,000. And all the funds went to her, to Rudy's mom. So I don't know. It, It seems like... They weren't investigating this too hard. I'm just going to say it. That's just, you're in the, the house. The whole thing is weird to me. And it, they didn't recognize him. That's what I'm from saying. The picture, she, I'm assuming she gave him a, a picture. Well, sure. It was on the flyer. And there's photos of him <sighs> in the house. You can't look at this picture and be like, this is the same fucking kid. Yeah. It's weird. I don't know. So she could face legal charges, though, from GoFundMe. After taking the thousands of dollars by falsely claiming her son was missing, GoFundMe said in a statement that Janie Santana had been permanently banned from GoFundMe and from all future beneficiary opportunities. GoFundMe has a zero tolerance for the misuse of our platform and cooperates with law enforcement investigations and those accused of wrongdoing. She should at least have to pay back the money from GoFundMe. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, I and guess I'm you sure can it's see. family and friends who sure. paid this. Yeah. <sighs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I told People you. People do things I just do not understand. I, I don't know. What a nightmare. I told you last Man. week. Something's up with this. It's super crazy. Right. And. Well, one of Janie's sisters came forward and said that she supposedly abused their mother that their mom lived there and Ugh. she would tell family members like the aunts, the other sisters, Rudy's at the house. He's not missing. He's at the house. And Janie would be like, oh, she's so crazy or she's losing her mind. She must be getting dementia and would play it off like this old woman was nuts. Mm. And the whole time she's screaming from the mountaintops. Oh my gosh. He's not missing. Mm-mm. So court records show that Rudy's mom, Janie, had three different names and was accused of forcing her mother to live in basically just a funky house with poop and pee all over the place and that she had bed sores. I hate elder abuse. I know. And that she made her sleep on the couch, not even in a bed. And Janie's sister said that she was a pathological liar. She sounds like a total mess. She sounds like... What's her name's mom? The Munchausen. What's right. her name? Yeah. Gypsy Rose. Yeah. She sounds Oof. like Gypsy Rose's mom. Man. Anyways, fuck. I think that's yeah. all the updates. How are you going to do a wacky? 
Like, you've talked about everything. Listen, I have so much more. Oh, my gosh. And we're in Michigan next week. We are in Michigan. And we're going to record our Patreon, so that's coming out. We are. And we get our shirts. Yes. So I was going to say, we are currently having our new US of M summer camp shirts printed, and some patrons will be getting those in the mail in the upcoming weeks. They're being printed right now. And we got some new stickers of our little summer camp design. So cute. And we'll be releasing our Patreon episode later this week, and it's all about resort disasters. If you aren't a patron and want to join, head to patreon.com slash United States of Murder, and the link's in our show notes, but you can listen to all of our backlog of monthly Patreon episodes. You get early access to our episodes. I usually post them at least a day or two early for you. Sometimes earlier depends on my schedule. I got nothing else. My throat hurts from talking. <laughs> Man, I'm just sitting here like, there's been a lot going on that I'm unaware of. She had so called this in. I'm just like, woof. All right. <laughs> bye. Bye.